Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that this morning, by your Spirit, you would give us the eyes to see this Jesus, who is our salvation. Lord, we're grateful for the good things that you have done to us and the ways that you have been generous and merciful with us. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So, I didn't grow up in this sort of liturgical calendar world full of fast days and feast days. So a day like today was not a day that I would have known anything about. So you might be asking yourself, what sort of a weird cult was he in where he didn't even know about New Year's? It was Baptist, and it wasn't a cult. It was actually really good, and I don't mean New Year's. Today is a day in the history of the church that's traditionally been set aside to commemorate, to remember, and even to celebrate what we see in Luke 2.21. At the end of eight days, when he was circumcised, he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. And so since this is actually relatively new for me and is possibly relatively new for many of us, what I wanted to do today is just kind of dwell on that, meditate on that, kind of chew on what the importance of that would be. Why do we take this thing that Luke says so simply and so succinctly and set it apart to, to remember it, to meditate on it? What's the big deal about Jesus being circumcised? What's the big deal about his name? It's helpful for us to think about what circumcision is and what it means in the Bible. The first time that we see it is in Genesis 17. It's when God commands Abraham to circumcise himself and all of the males in his household. You want to ask, well, why? If you want to kind of boil it down, it was a sign. It was a sign of a covenant that God had made with Abraham, that he was going to make a great nation from him, and he was going to do that starting with his promised son, Isaac. If you remember, Abraham at this point is in his 90s. His wife is old. They don't expect to have a child, and so clinging to this promise is something that is hard. Being rooted in that promise is something that is hard. So circumcision is a sign that God gives to Abraham, and not just for himself, but for the ones who come after him, to continue to remind them that they are rooted in these promises that God has made. It's a sign of their belonging to God and their being his people. And that gets reiterated under Moses and the law. It's mandated for any male who's going to belong to the people of Israel, any male who's going to eat of the Passover. And over time, this is going to become one of the principal markers of Jewish identity. You see this in Jesus' day, and you see this in the New Testament epistles. Circumcision, keeping the Sabbath, dietary laws become these things that mark the people of Israel as people who are set aside from the nations. It's part of how they view themselves and understand themselves. So if you want to kind of boil this down and kind of summarize it, this circumcision is something that's going to mark the people of God as the people of God, something that's going to mark them as people who are in a covenant relationship with their God, so rooted in the promises that God has made to them, and then also as people who are in submission under the law, people who have promised to be obedient, to be under the law that God had given them. If you think about that, though, in relationship to Jesus, does it not kind of strike you as strange? So if Jesus is fully God and fully man, if he is the incarnate son of God, why on earth would it matter if he is marked as belonging to God? What does that mean? Why would he need to have this marker on himself that he was rooted in the promises of God? This one who's never had to depend on anyone for anything. 
why would he wear a marker of being under a law that he himself had given? If you want to boil all of those things down, you could, I think you could say it like this. That Jesus, the incarnate Son of God, has still chosen to identify himself fully with humanity's plight and with their station. And so, as a part of that identification, as a part of walking into this life fully God, but also fully man, he chose even to be marked like one of us, even to be marked as someone who was in need of God's promises even to be marked as someone who was submitted under the law, who was going to fulfill that law all the way to the end, even as someone who would be in need of God's own salvation. That's actually what his name means. Yahweh is salvation. That's what Jesus means. And so in this circumcision and in this name that's given to him, we see that from the very beginning, Jesus has actually been planted in the same promises that God has given to Israel. He's identifying with them. He's belonging to them. He's belonging to the same Israel that had rejected him over and over again. And with that covenant marking, he's also committed to keeping the same law all the way to the end. So thinking this week about the ways that circumcision marked Jesus, belonging, submission, even dependence on these promises, had me thinking about other ways that we see Jesus marked carrying the marks of humanity on himself. Circumcision being one of those, maybe even one of the biggest ones, but one of them. So I thought about other markers like baptism. So this perfect son of God who takes human flesh, who has never sinned, is baptized with a baptism of repentance. He has nothing to repent of, but he's still going to carry that marker on himself. about Jesus out in the wilderness. He's living out the story of Israel. He's enduring deprivation of food and water. He's enduring temptation, carrying the marks of Israel's past and Israel's failure, but doing it perfectly. I thought about marks of grief and loss. So think about the time when his friend Lazarus dies. He knows that God's glory is going to be displayed, but he weeps, and you can see the marks of human suffering and grief on his face carrying that mark. Think about his anguish in the garden, facing crucifixion when his soul is troubled unto death, but in the blood and in the sweat, you can see the markers of human anguish on him. Thought about Jesus on the cross. Think of this crown of thorns. The thorns were the mark of the fall. It's a mark of the curse that had fallen on God's creation because of Adam and Eve's sin. And he wears that mark of the curse on his head on the cross. Think of Jesus naked and exposed on the cross. What was the mark of Adam and Eve's shame and disgrace in the garden if it wasn't nakedness? And there's Jesus bearing the mark of their shame and their disgrace, even the mark of our shame and our disgrace. Think about the marks of guilt, those holes that are in his hands and in his feet and in his side. So when you think about these ways that Jesus has borne the marks of Israel and the marks of humanity, do you see the trajectory that's kind of woven into all of them? He's the guiltless one. He's the one who's not subject to any threat in the universe, but he's still carrying on his body the marks of one who's been racked by sin, the marks of one who have had to endure weakness, the marks of one who actually are in desperate need of, of a savior, of salvation. 
marks that he never deserved, marks that he didn't bring upon himself. He even chooses to carry on himself the marks or the consequences of sin. And one of the things that I found really interesting to dwell on this week was, again, that name. Yahweh is salvation. When we think of that in relation to Jesus, we're always going to immediately think, well, of course, because he is that salvation. Jesus brings that salvation. But one of the other things that struck me this week, thinking about his name, was the fact that he doesn't bring himself salvation here. Jesus isn't going to pull himself off the cross. He's not going to call an army of of angels to come and deliver him. He's not going to deliver himself from death. But instead, even on the cross, at the very end, he's clinging to the same promises that his people will have to cling to, that God will deliver him, that God will bring his salvation. Made himself like us even to that point of complete dependence on the Father. That's what all of these marks that he carries testify. That's what they bear witness to, all the way from his circumcision until his death. And so I love this idea of a Savior who's wearing the marks of a humanity that needs salvation because it also made me think of the, the things that mark us, the things that we carry on us that testify for our need for salvation. It made me think of the hurts and the scars and the wounds that we carry because of the ways that we have failed to be obedient, the ways that sin has actually hurt and harmed us and wounded us. Made me think about the ways that life in a broken world that is desperate to be redeemed has scarred and cut and wounded us. Made me think about how difficult it actually is to wait for God's promises, to see them when it's dark or to trust in them when doubt or anguish or anxiety or fear are mounting. Found it beautiful because it reminds us that we have a Savior who has already carried all of those marks for us who still carries those marks in his hands and in his feet and in his side. We have a Savior who is able to comfort us in our weakness and in our hurt and in our suffering, even in our woundedness, because he has walked there too. Those marks, all the way from circumcision to his name to the holes in his body, all testify to that. And we know where the story goes from there. We know where it goes. We're going to say it anyway. He doesn't stay in the tomb because God raises him from the dead. And his resurrection is, again, a testimony to his perfection and to his holiness, to his faithfulness to the end. God raising him from the dead is a vindication to the earth and to the heavens that the son didn't belong to death. But then you know this other part, too, that we're going to still say anyway, that Jesus' resurrection wasn't just for himself. So this Jesus who bore all the marks of sinful humanity all the way to death, of a humanity that desperately needs salvation, rose from the dead, and now he offers us new marks. So instead of the shame and the disgrace of our sin, remember Adam and Eve's nakedness, even Jesus' own exposure on the cross, he offers to clothe us with his own righteousness instead, a new marker of a righteousness that isn't our own. Instead of the thorns of the curse that he wore, he offers us the anointing of his Holy Spirit, who also fills us and testifies in us that God is not far from us that we are not exiled from the presence of God, but that God has made us his children. He offers us the mark of baptism, 
of being joined with him in his death and resurrection so that we can be raised with him in everlasting life, so that those tears that mark our suffering and grief can be wiped away, so the anguish and anxiety of a life in a broken world can be healed, and so the wounds and the scars that mark or that rot in our hearts can be healed. If you are wearing those marks of hurt or need right now, whether those marks are on your body or in your heart, you can remember that those marks are still on Jesus' body and they still testify that these things are true. Whatever marks you carry on you, don't drive him away. He's not far from you. Those marks aren't any sort of a threat to the resurrection life that he has given to you. So my prayer for us is that we could look at Jesus' birth and life and death, resurrection and ascension and the pouring out of his spirit and the life of the church, that we could hear it in the word, that we can see it at the table, that we can see it in the waters of baptism, and that you could even see it in the ways that God has marked your own life. In all of those markers, can we remember that God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit has done everything to heal us and to free us and to save us. He is our salvation. Amen.